Greetings, greenhouse people. It's time for another episode of Tech on Demand, brought to you by Grower Talks Magazine. If you don't receive Grower Talks and Green Profit every month, head over to growertalks.com and subscribe. We've been bringing news and information to the industry for more than 75 years. So if you're not a subscriber, it's about time. And speaking of subscribing, be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and I'm really happy to announce that we're now on Odyssey. Once you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and this time I've got two high-powered guests from Berger, both experts when it comes to peat moss and growing media, Pierre-Marc de Champlain and John Santoro. We talk a lot about peat this episode, but with an interesting twist. The topic on the table is how to take more control over your media supply by staying flexible and versatile. What you'll learn is why making the correct media selection can not only ease supply chain burdens, but also dial in your soil mix to deliver exactly what each crop needs at the right time. We start by discussing the current supply chain, good and bad, and then move on to why peat is not only the backbone of soil mix components, but also a very viable option now and into the future. Get ready to hear all about why responsible bog management is at the forefront of Berger's approach and why this is good for the entire industry. Pierre, Mark, and John share their thoughts on why versatility is critical now more than ever and ways to fine-tune your production by looking closely at your media mix. We wrap up by explaining the importance of trialing and creating a plan and a backup plan related to growing media. Both these guys have a lot of experience and unique takes on the greenhouse production side of things, and I know you're going to find this episode as engaging, informational, and fun as I did. Here's a little bit about the guests. Pierre-Marc de Champlain is the Director of Technical Services at Berger. Being fascinated with biological sciences, Pierre-Marc joined the industry in 2008 and quickly became known for his integrated and forward-thinking approach for tackling growers' unique challenges. Intrigued by the fast-paced evolutions in the growing sector and obsessed with data-driven results in the field, Pierre-Marc always dives deep down to uncover how substrates and the growing environment can help improve the yield of any production plant. His can-do attitude and wry sense of humor are appreciated by his colleagues and customers alike. Two parts growing geek and two parts die-hard Lego fan, Pierre-Marc is all about innovation and expertise. In his spare time, he can be found woodworking and building his next big project. He always strikes the perfect blend between big ideas and the small details that bring those ideas to fruition. John Santoro is Berger's sales director for the Northeastern U.S. and Canada and has acquired more than 20 years of horticulture experience in both the production side of the industry as a manager and grower and in sales. Being able to understand the operations and challenges on both sides makes him a valuable contributor for his customers and Berger. John is renowned for his wit and boisterous personality, which is probably why he has tattoos of Willy Wonka and Dr. Seuss. He is always happy to lend a helping hand and point out the funny things in life. When he's not working to help growers achieve better yields, he loves gardening, especially native plants, reading, and spending time with his wife and two kids. These are two great guys with a wealth of knowledge and experience. But enough about them. Let's get down to business. The business of taking control of your inputs and reducing risk through growing mix selection. 
Pierre, Mark, and John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Cool. So why don't we get started uh, by positioning the topic of the day within kind of what's going on in the in the current uh, uh, global horticulture scene and global production and supply chains in general, because over the last few years, we've all learned how important these supply chains are and the importance of material availability and how that can be fluid and we need to be uh, uh, ready for change and uncertainty, which are a couple words that really come to mind. So when we talk about our topic of the day, which is controlling or having more control over your inputs, specifically your growing media, why don't, uh, why don't you guys talk a little bit about the importance of versatility and flexibility and uh, maybe set the stage for how you want to approach uh, our topic for the day? Yeah, I'll take that one to start building again. It's a really super apt right now. I don't think anyone is immune to what's going on in supply chain, global market, you know, pricing. We're, we're you know, even two and a half years later, almost two and a half years, we're still dealing with some effects from uh, from COVID. So, so more than ever right now, we have to, uh, you know, be very uh, versatile in what we do and understand that challenges are going to continue to come you know, regardless of any market we're in. So, so one big thing I would, I would say is we look at, you know, knowing what your inputs are and things like that, it'd be, uh, I would really recommend, you know, always we, we tell our growers to work with uh, our team of experts, our grower advisors, um, you know, to find out number one, what works best for them within their growing conditions. But especially right now, I would say trialing you know, of different mixes and, and maybe even having a, a secondary mix or a, or even a third mix, just, just in case something happens with supply chain that, you know, vermiculite, perlite, you know, gets stuck on a boat coming from overseas. We're not, you know, we're not advocating to have three, four or five different soil mixes in your greenhouse, but just at least having somewhat of a, a general knowledge and comfort level of some different soil mixes so in the case that uh, your soil supplier can't get you exactly what you need, you're not going blind in your production. So I'll add on to that, John, if, if you don't mind. I, I like the analogy of, of the painter who typically will have access to all the different colors he needs uh, directly from, you know, the art supply store where he can, you know, paint whatever landscape or portrait or abstract art he, art he wants. Um, well, now he doesn't have access to all those colors. He only ha has access to, you know, yellow, blue, and red. So he kind of needs to adapt and, and uh, figure out how to make those colors himself. Um, and at first, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, you know, he won't get the exact result he was hoping for. But the more proactive he is about, about it and the more practice he gets, um, you know, the better the final result will be. So it's kind of the same with, with you know, his horticultural uh, supply, uh, whether it's, you know, growing media or, or anything else, is, uh, you know, once you change that input, you, you have to adapt. And, and, uh, and it is a challenge, but it, it, it is one that you can, you can work with. I like that analogy. It, it, it makes sense when you think of, uh, of a final crop and, and the way that you go about producing that crop, 
the more flexible or versatile you can be, you can still make a absolutely phenomenal crop that goes out the door. And then John, what you said about um, having a, a secondary mix or, or two of them um, kind of in your, in your toolbox uh, that you have some experience with if and when challenges happen uh, will allow you to, you know, at, at the end of production, still ship a, a fantastic crop out the door, no matter what you're growing. So I think those are, that's some really good advice and uh, definitely helps uh, get us on track for, for this discussion. So let's get a little bit more specific because I know a lot of our listeners have uh, shifted or changed uh, uh, growing media mixes, you know, over the last, I don't know, maybe five, six years and, and started mixing in various components uh, or having them pre-blended into the substrate, um, whether that's biologicals or controlled release. Those are definitely two of the more common, but some of these shortages we, we were just talking about have left a lot of our listeners stuck uh, without their custom blends. And, and so what are your thoughts on ways to work around this challenge? And, you know, maybe, maybe there's actually a better way to, to approach uh, mixing, you know, bios or CRFs or, or whatever it is in, into your mix. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously pre-blending those add-ons, if you will, into the growing media is, is super convenient. You know, there's for many reasons. I mean, having it ready to go and, and not having to um, have your labor actually apply it themselves. You know, th there are benefits to that, you know. And, and But what if you can't get that product included in your growing media uh, due to supply chain issues or, or you know, whatever else? Uh, well, there aren't a million ways to get around that, really. It's, it, it really is, you know, applying it yourself but in fact in, in many instances that actually does improve the efficacy uh, if we look at crfs for example there have been several studies that have shown that the best uh, placement for the crfs uh, you know in the container is not when it's blended into the growing media uh, there's going to be more runoff if you will uh, more fertilizer runoff if it is blended in versus for example uh, a dibbled application or, or a top dressing application. And, and I can refer uh, studies done by Virginia Tech, uh, studies done by at the University of Florida as well on tropical ornamentals. I mean, there's, there's plenty of studies that have shown that, um, you know, and when you're applying it yourself uh, in the greenhouse, you can actually adjust your rates. Uh, you know, certain crops will be uh, heavy feeders, others, you know, will be more sensitive to high ECs. And so you can adjust your application rates, put more on those heavy feeders, put less on the sensitive ones. Uh, and that's really going to help you optimize your production, but also reduce your overall cost uh, because you're not using it in um, at a higher rate where you don't really need it, where that fertilizer is just going to run off. Uh, another big advantage of actually adding it yourself in the greenhouse is storage. Storage is a huge, huge problem with CRFs once they're included in growing media. Uh, you know, at Berger, we try to keep the moisture content of our growing media as low as possible to ship soil uh, and not ship water uh, as much as possible, which, which makes sense. But with peat moss, it just has that capacity of retaining so much water that you're, you're never able to completely el eliminate the water that's present. And so the growing media 
even the driest ones will have a you know humidity of of or moisture content rather of you know 40 above 40 percent typically uh 43 46 uh it can be as high as even 65 percent with some of our competitors even higher than that i've seen and uh you know crfs uh, will start releasing if you have moisture around them, uh, but also if there's heat. And, you know, not all uh, growers uh, have, you know, a warehouse where they can store their soil. Most of it is stored outside. Uh, sun's going to be hitting those bales, and, and that it's going to start releasing inevitably. And the longer you wait before you use it, uh, the more it'll release. And in the current context, you want to secure your supply. You know, obviously you're, you're going to try to get that soil delivered as, as early as possible. So if you've got CRF in there and it has started releasing because you've, you've had it stored for a couple of months, uh, you're going to have to flush your growing media before you start using to bring down the EC. And, and that's going to be not an ideal situation when your, your soil is basically saturated with water. Uh, to, to start your production. Uh, the storage conundrum, if you will, the storage issue always also applies to biologicals. I mean, in the case of biologicals, it's a little bit, a little bit more tricky because having it blended in the soil, you know, uniformly by the, the growing media supplier is actually uh, more interesting than, than for CRFs uh, in terms of uh, uh, having it spread evenly throughout the growing media. Uh, would be helpful. Uh, and, and for biologicals, you know, it's one of those where you do want it to be there from the get-go as early as possible, because most of them are used as preventative measures for diseases. Uh, it's, it's not really the type of product you're going to apply to. You've got a huge issue that's going on, right? You want it there before to prevent that issue from getting out of hand. However, typically those uh, products are, are uh, repeat applications are required to have you know, the full benefits of them. So you're going to have to reapply them regardless. But also there haven't really been a lot of studies done on the survival rates of those biologicals once, if they're pre-blended into the growing media. I mean, we, we've done some trials on our side at Berger and our R&D facilities to, to verify some of them, you know, the most common ones. And, and yes, some of them do, uh, you know, have good, uh, the populations stay relatively high during storage, but for others, I mean, we've seen those populations go down. Uh, it's, it, it really depends on the storage conditions. We're talking about living organisms. Uh, are they going to, you know, activate earlier than, than what they were, uh, you know, than, you know, when, when they're, uh, uh, they're supposed to, uh, which is during production. And if they do activate or if they do come out of their dormancy, uh, during storage, are they going to survive uh, the rest of the storage period and, and be uh, uh, working once you use them in the greenhouse? I mean, there, there, as I said, there hasn't been a whole bunch of studies on that. Uh, peat isn't sterile. It has its own microflora. Uh, the advantage, the big advantage of peat is that microflora doesn't contain any pathogens. You know, I'm not going to get into the why of the thing because it's going to take a lot longer for a podcast. But basically, the environment where it grows isn't conducive to those pathogens. So it's just pathogen-free. And one of the reasons why it's, it's uh, one of the main ingredients used for growing media, um, it, it, how does the native microflora of the peat interact with these biologicals 
you know, during storage, during production. I mean, there, there's just, you know, it's it's a uh, super uh, interesting. Um, uh, how can I say this? Uh, uh, field, if you will, uh, probably not the right term here, uh, but um, you know, there's still a lot of research left to be done. Uh, a lot of the research that has been done has been research uh, specifically on uh, specific strains of microorganisms that give you know benefits to growers, whether it's uh, you know through prevention of disease or whether it's uh, uh, giving um, uh, some biostimulant effect to the crop, allowing it to have better access to nutrients or, or whatnot. Um, but not a lot of studies have been done on the complete ecosystem, if you will, uh, of microorganisms within the soil. So uh, we still need to do a lot of research before we were, were uh, knowledgeable as to what those interactions will be. Uh, a, a good example, uh, mycorrhizae, I think, you know, for for uh, certain applications, uh, mycorrhizae, I mean, is it has clear benefits. One of them being when you transplant whatever plant it is in the soil, and if it does have mycorrhizae included, that'll help the plant thrive uh, once it's been transplanted because it'll have better access to phosphorus, it'll have better access to water, kind of an extension to the root system. Well, those really aren't super important when you're in a uh, a greenhouse production. So uh, for, you know, growers that do want to apply mycorrhizae because they do want to give that benefit to the end user, because let's be honest, that's who's going to have the benefit from the mycorrhiza mainly. Well, I mean, when you think about it, the best time to apply the mycorrhizae is shortly before the crops are shipped out, because that's when you're, uh, you're certain that those populations will be present when the crops are transplanted into the soil. At least it gives you the, the best chance of that happening. No, I think that, you know, you started you started that and there was a lot of information, but you started it by by explaining that the reason why many of our listeners are going with a, a, a pre-blended custom mix is for convenience. But then came the rest of the story, which was basically that you can be much more targeted in your approach. You're going to reduce the runoff and increase the efficacy of the products that you're blending in. We don't know exactly how biologicals uh, work within that uh, media ecosystem. And then especially when it comes to CRFs, the research shows that actually top dressing and doing some of that, that mixing yourself is actually more beneficial to the crop. So you know, a lot of times we, we, we look for convenience in the greenhouse, certainly because of the cost of labor and efficiency and all sorts of different reasons, but uh, perhaps taking a different approach will be more beneficial to the crop and probably save you money in the long run. So I appreciate all that information. I think that's going to be uh, some good, good info for all the listeners to digest and really talk through with their management team when they look at their media strategy moving forward, not saying that the custom and pre-blends are, are the wrong way to go, but, but maybe there are ways that, that you can improve your production by, uh, by kind of going back and, and using some of that time to, to, to blend on your own or add in those components after the fact. Absolutely. 
So let's let's address, you know, kind of kind of the the big topic in the room at a lot of uh, conferences and a lot of discussions I hear um, really globally and within North America, which is peat. I think with the demand up and supply either down or challenged or, or having hiccups, um, first off, is peat still a viable option for growers in North America? Pretty sure I know your answer to that. And what about alternative materials? I hear so much about, you know, we read articles, we're writing articles and grower talks, we're hearing discussions at conferences about uh, quar and wood fiber and all sorts of media components um, that are being added in for all sorts of, you know, good reasons. Um, who wants to comment on this and take kind of a higher level industry perspective and then maybe bring it down to what uh, Berger's approach is to this, this topic? Yeah, great. So I'll, I'll jump in on this one, Bill. And it's a great, great, you know, question as we've seen in the last, you know, many years. And again, probably since the start of COVID, the demand for floriculture, horticulture mixes is, is up. People are staying home more, uh, consuming and buying more plant material for their gardens. That's number one. We've also seen the rise in, uh, you know, indoor farming, leafy greens, greenhouse vegetables, uh, you know, cannabis. That, that has demands for a lot of soil, but I want to dispel any rumors right now that peat is still the most viable resource to me. Um, the, best, the best component in all soil mixes, um, it's abundant in Canada. I believe in Pierre Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. Even with all the peat that's been harvested since the beginning of time, I believe it's less than two percent of all available peatland in Canada has even been been touched right now so it's a very very small amount um but yeah in it fact, is it is a John if I, if I if I may real really quickly the the total amount of peat harvested each year by all companies together that that uh, harvest peat for horticultural purposes because that's the only real purpose where that peat is harvested in Canada um, that total amount is less than what accumulates each year, much less. It's a fraction. Great. Thank on. you for that. No, thank you for that, Pierre, Mark. I always appreciate uh, the clarity on it. So, um, so again, Pete, most viable resource. Again, if, if you look at the majority of soil mixes, Pete still continues to be the highest percentage. So we really call it the backbone of all professional mixes. Uh, core and wood fiber. You know, both great products. Berger uses them in some of our soil mixes, but just like anything else, they all, you know, everything has their, uh, their pros and cons, their goods and their challenges. With, with core, again, it goes back to supply chain. You know, core is mainly India, Sri Lanka, Dominican Republic, places like that, where even to get it to the U.S., it has to come on a boat. So you're dealing with those challenges. You're dealing with, with the price fluctuations for not knowing what it's going to cost when the container is, is landed. And, you know, uh, with, with wood fiber, again, great, great product. Berger has some wonderful mixes that incorporate wood fiber. Um, but what we've really found at Berger with our own uh, in-house R and D trials and at some other growers is that when you get above that really 30% of your soil mix, with wood fiber, you can still grow in it. Absolutely. You can still grow a good crop, but your fertilizer practices and a lot of what you do in the greenhouse is to me slightly more than what I would say a, 
a minor change to crop production and you're dealing with a lot more major changes with that, you know, due to buffering capacity, uh, you know, dry down and moisture rates and all that. So, but again, both great products. I don't want to, you know, take anything away from them. And then really, as we dial in, what is, what is Berger's approach? So um, Berger has an R and D facility where we're constantly evaluating uh, different soil mixes we're trying to look at soil mixes right now that have less peat in them, you know, to, to, to help, you know, stretch and maintain our resource for the foreseeable future, but still delivering the same crop quality. Um, we also have one department that their only metric for success is maintaining a 50 year supply of peat for Berger. So uh, again, that's all they do. And then, and then certainly again, as we look to the future, you know, we, we call it, you know, what is the next component or aggregate that, you know, no one is using right now that could make a, an impact on the industry. And the, the three biggest things we think about with that are, is it an abundant enough supply that if it does work, we continue the supply? Is it freight competitive or, or price competitive? that even if it, you know, works great, does it still work for the grower and their price points? And number three, with everything else at Berger, it's, it's consistency, quality, and performance that we don't want the grower or anyone to sacrifice any of those three just for uh, something we're putting in a soil mix. So really that's, you know, from the, from the 30,000 foot down to kind of, you know, the very low level, what, uh, what the industry and what Berger is doing right now. And, that, and that's good to hear. I think that hearing, um, you know, your the your company's approach to a fifty year supply is uh, builds confidence uh, within everyone who's listening. Um, you're right, Pete is the backbone. Uh, these other components that that you talked about are certainly have their place, and um, you know we see the research being done that that show how effective they can be. Um, there will be a learning curve like there is with with anything. Um, definitely heard it repeated you know, a few times in, in other podcasts that I've done that, uh, you know, when, when you're working with wood fiber, as the percentages go up, you really need to, you know, trial and, and know your specific strategy when it comes to moisture management, fertilization, um, and really how, how to get, uh, get everything that, that your crops need um, in the right amounts. Um, you know, you talked a, a lot about, uh, the amount of peat harvested being a, a tiny percentage of what's available. And, you know, I, I, th those are the kind of things that, that reinforce and build confidence, I think with everyone in the industry. So I'm glad that we uh, took a few minutes to go through that. Um, certainly wasn't going to have you guys on a podcast without asking you that question. So um, certainly in North America, that is a, a super, super good sign and uh, something that I think all the listeners are really going to appreciate. And, and like you said, it is really the backbone. Pete is the backbone of um, greenhouse production, uh, certainly in North America. So I'm wondering, you know, we talked about the resource management and 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 I know that 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 Berger spends a lot of time on, you know, probably has many departments dedicated to uh, the peat bogs and making sure that that the harvests are successful and are bringing that quality consistent product to market. So. Um, can you talk a little bit about what Berger does to manage the peat bogs and avoid and, and maybe avoid or minimize the risk of shortages? 
um, you know, it occurred to me when I was thinking about a peat bog that it is a living thing. It's just a huge, massive living thing, um, which, which is pretty cool. So any, who, who wants to tackle that one? I'll, I'll tackle that one. In fact, you'll, you might have to stop me because I, <laughs> I could talk about peat moss for, for hours. Uh, John can probably attest to that. You know, talk about it way too much already. <laughs> I, I, w- I would say days, Pierre, Mark. Maybe not yeah, hours. probably days. Well, let's keep um, it to uh, minutes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I will. I'll, I'll try at least. You know, if I if I go a little bit too far, you can stop me. Um, one thing I do want to mention before I get started on on your question is, uh, you know, for those who do have concerns about peat moss or, or getting questions about it. Uh, there's a great, great resource online called uh, peatmoss.com, which is actually a website, uh, you know, uh, that's uh, basically um, prepared or, or, you know, set up by the CSPMA, which is the Canadian Sphagnum Peat Moss Association, which gives a, a lot of great info on what peat moss is, you know, what, what is responsible production or harvesting of peat moss, uh, the use of peat moss in horticulture and some some of the, the statistics and numbers that I talked about earlier are actually present on that website. Uh, it's actually one of the rare instances where you have an industry where competitors get together and work together to, um, you know, develop and improve the, the harvest methodology to reduce the impact on the environment. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, work on the restoration process, which is basically what we do after uh, we done harvesting a certain location we want to bring back that environment back to what it was which is a functioning ecosystem and it's it's you know one of those rare uh industries where uh, the competitors actually work together to achieve that which is i i think is is great but uh um to get back to your question uh yes there is a lot of resource uh peak resources in canada uh but it's not that simple to harvest uh, you know, there are definitely some challenges, you know, it's opening a new bog is, is no easy task. There's a lot of steps involved before you actually can get in there, you know, working with the governments to get the lease, show your plan, uh, show your restoration plan. And you actually have to, in Canada, you have to have the money set aside for the restoration so that whatever happens, uh, you know, in between that moment where you started harvesting from that bog and, and, uh, if the company for some reason would go belly up, the, the, the money for the restoration would still be reserved for that operation. Um, which once again, I think is, is great because it shows, you know, the desire, at least in Canada to make sure that, you know, whatever operations are done are not going to have a huge impact on the environment down the line. But to go back to your question, it, it is a lot of, of effort. A lot of these bogs where you have, enough resource for it to be of interest to, to start harvesting are, let's be honest, in the middle of nowhere. There's no roads that go there. There's no electricity. Uh, there's a lot of setup to, to actually be able to get your equipment in there and actually, you know, prepare the fields, uh, drain uh, the bog, uh, and then, you know, uh, do whatever steps are required before you can actually begin the harvest. Um, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of stri- st- uh, strategic elements to, uh, you know, harvesting peat moss. As John said, we have a team, a resource uh, uh, department that, you know, their sole focus is to make sure we have enough peat for, as John said, you know, not not just the next couple of months or years. You know, half a 
you know, half a century from now, we know how much, you know, peat resources we'll have available uh, for our customers. Um, you know, we're, we're always looking at our current needs, our, our, our future needs, but we're also considering that there are seasons where you're not going to be able to harvest as much because peat harvest is um, dependent on the weather. Uh, if it rains, you can't go in the next day and harvest. You have to wait three days before you can go in. So uh, when it rains, you have to go in with specialized equipment to kind of um, harrow the fields, flip the peat particles so that they dry. And, and that takes a couple of days. And if in between those three days of, of good weather, there is more rain, you have to restart that process, which unfortunately uh, starts to have an impact on the quality of the peat moss. We want to try to keep the fibers as intact as possible so that uh, um, basically you maintain the benefits of the peat moss within the growing media. Uh, so that's that's one of the challenges that you have. And so one of the ways that Berger kind of counteracts that is by having bogs in different areas of the country. And by doing that, if there's an area of the country where you have bad weather, and you're not going to be able to harvest as much as you you were planning on harvesting to not only supply to your customers but also keep some buffer uh, for for those bad years. So so that you're you're not cutting customers short. You're able to still supply them even though you, you harvested less that particular year by having them in different areas. That helps to mitigate that that issue. Um, we're talking about you know in our company we're talking about decades of experience. Uh, which really has allowed us to optimize our operation to maintain the quality of our product, which has always been our, you know, main priority. Uh, you know, we've developed specialized equipment to minimize that damage on the fibers that I talked about earlier. Uh, you know, a lot of it is field preparation before the season, after the season as well. You know, by actually uh, not stopping, you know, once you you can't really, the weather's, you know, uh, it's getting too cold. You can't go in and harvest anymore because the peat isn't drying. You know, a lot of uh, companies stop right then and there, uh, close shop and, and say goodbye till next year, at least in terms of the harvest operations. Uh, that's, that's not what Berger does. We we're uh, in there a couple of weeks after the harvest to prepare the fields for next year, which actually allows us to go back into the field a lot earlier. And by doing that, you know, we're able to have, resource fresh peat resources available much earlier uh in the year than than a lot of our competitors um it's all about monitoring being proactive uh a lot of testing out in the fields determining you know which sections have evolved you know is there a difference in quality of this section versus last year uh do we have to reclassify that section into a different type of peat uh because what we do to maintain our qualities blend, blend the peat from the different sites that we have, uh, even within a site from the different sections of that site. Uh, that's the key to, to having a like a nice uniform product, whether it's being produced in Manitoba in the middle of the winter or it's being produced in uh, New Brunswick uh, in the middle of the summer, which, by the way, those are two provinces in Canada for those who are familiar um, so we're constantly classifying the peat. We're constantly uh, checking our inventories, uh, doing that blending, as I said, uh, when we bring the peat in the, uh, in the factory. But, you know, we're, we're, we're 
also sending peat from different locations to our different factories. And it's all to kind of even it out and get the same uniformity. Because as you said, it's a living organism. And, and the type of sphagnum that grows in one area of the country versus another will be a little bit different. The properties of the peat moss will stay relatively similar as long as we're talking about sphagnum peat moss. But there are some variations. And by doing that blending, we're able to achieve that uniformity uniformity that we want um and it's all about you know knowing what we have where we have it uh and and thus being able to manage those inventories properly making sure that uh we have supply you know wherever we need it to be um another thing that we do to to kind of help um make sure that we have that resources for a long period of time is phased bog opening so we know exactly what types of blends we'll need to make our growing media. And so we'll open our bogs uh, accordingly. So we're not just going to go in to a, a, a new bog and, and, you know, open bar, you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's all about opening it, opening it gradually so that um, we're basically, um, al- that's what allows us, as John mentioned, to have that research for a long period of time because we're, we don't get overexcited. We, we, we know what we want to do in the long term, and we stick to that plan. Um, and I think I've already talked enough about Pete. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's really fascinating to, to think about the research that goes in, the fact that the money has to be set aside for restoration, the fact that you are managing multiple bog locations and not just, you know, digging Pete, bailing it and sending it out. There's a lot that goes into the the blending um, in order to get that consistency and reliability. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I love hearing that the resources are abundant. I'm going to put a link to peatmoss.com in the show notes and, and check it out myself. That's, that's great that, that the industry works together in Canada to make sure that the data is there to back up the claims of the fact that this is a viable resource. And, um, Man, I, I can't imagine the the how how important that that department is in your company to, you know, opening a new bog and putting in all that infrastructure that's needed before you go in and start harvesting. That's uh, that's great, and you guys are really to be commended for that. Um, it is heavy stuff. There was a lot of information, but it's really important, uh, I think, for everyone to understand what goes into bringing this product to market. Um, that that's going to you know, allow for a uh, consistent top quality product that will hopefully be able to uh, uh, maintain supply through shortages that, that aren't going to end anytime soon, you know, when it comes to supply chain in general, globally. Um, let's move on a little bit to, you know, put, put this, some of this into action about how the listeners can increase their versatility in relation to media mixes, and not only take back some of the, the control that, that we all feel we've lost um, in the last few years in, in supply chain, um, but also fine tune production on specific crops. I know uh, Berger has a very strong and um, diverse uh, technical team uh, working with growers. So what are, what are some of the things that you've learned that are gonna help listeners make best decisions when it comes to media mix and increasing their versatility to at the end of the day, have more control? Yeah, absolutely, Bill. And I think uh, the the point you're hitting on right now, the biggest point of it is that it, it's a team, and it's not just it's not just the Berger team. Is 
you know, Berger really believes in partnerships with their customers. We say it a lot. If, if our customers aren't successful, Berger isn't successful. So it's a, it's a very symbiotic relationship. Um, so one of the things I would say, even before we talk about, you know, specifics to growing and things like that, um, I would say it's really in a lot in how, you know, people manage when, when their soil mix hits their greenhouse. And I'm talking a little bit about, you know, maybe looking at your, your equipment or automating. And I'll, I'll, I'll make the statement again that I own no stock in any horticultural soil processing company, but I think it's, especially in this day and age, it's really critical to look at that from a labor, you know, standpoint, number one. And then also number two is, uh, you know, there's two points to me when it comes to the automation that I think are just super important is number one is the waste is much less rather than cutting open a, a loose fill bag that, you know, some of it falls on the ground. A lot of these systems are, uh, they recirculate. So you're not, there's nearly, not nearly as much waste as you would cutting open a bag, filling it on the table than by doing a central location. And number two is, um, you know, really the consistency of a pot filling machine. One of the things, uh, you know, as we talk about consistency, if you, if you go through a, you know, a hand filled greenhouse, you're going to run into some pots that are maybe filled a little more, a little less that create challenges and watering, things like that. And, you know, instead of using the booms or your automated watering, you're, you're kind of chasing hot spots and edges all the time. So even before we, you know, let's, you know, work with not just, you know, the Berger team, but other vendors really to find out what system would work best for you. Um, and really, again, back to, you know, specific crops, fine tuning, Pierre Mark really touched on it is, yes, CRFs and biologicals and things we can blend in are very convenient, but do they need to be used on every crop or, you know, can you look at some, you know, specific crops or, you know, hard crops in production that need a little, you know, a little extra something to get them started or, or a biological to help the fungicides, you know, um, to resist some pests, things like that, or disease or things like that. So that, that again, to me, it goes back to, you know, the teamwork and trialing. I don't think there's a, you know, there's really not a silver bullet. There's not going to be one mix that's, you know, perfect for every crop in your greenhouse. But I think what we can confidently say at Berger is that we have mixes that'll work across a wide range of all crops and, you know, maybe tweaking some of their specific needs are a lot easier than trying to, you know, uh, manufacture one mix for X, one mix for Y, one mix for, for Z. And um, yeah, you went back to our team. We have a fantastic team of our, our grower advisors are always there. Our sales team um, to walk you through it. Um, that's kind of what, their role is again the grower advisor team they're not salespeople. they're just there for your success um you know we all know in the greenhouse there's eight weeks out of the year in shipping time or 12 weeks that it's just uh controlled chaos and to say all right let's start a trial in week six and it'll be done week 15 well you know you're gonna go see a grower and go well i don't know where that is did it ship i don't know i don't know where it is that's that's to me again where you lean on your vendor team you know, to go in and help you through those trials and kind of help you track it and things like that. So again, that's, that's the big one, especially right now, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to change. And everyone knows that a lot of people are resistant to change, but, it, you know, going back to the uncertainty, of this market and the challenges, 
challenges create change a little bit. And it's, you know, some, most of the time they're for the better to find a, a better way, a more efficient way of things like that. So I would say, you know, just for all the growers out there that are, you know, thinking about maybe changing their soil or just, you know, looking for something better. Don't be afraid to trial. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And really at the end of it, don't be afraid to, uh, to change. So I don't know if you have anything for that, Pierre Mark too. I, I, I wanted to kind of jump on or at least add on to when you talked about adapting to the soil and, and, you know, not having three or four different options depending on your needs and having to work with just one option is, you know, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we, 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 uh, we focus on manufacturing quality uniform products is predictability. And so even though the soil is not going to be perfect for each crop, as John mentioned, uh, you know, and even if I would say that from one grower to the other, depending on their irrigation practices, you know, it's, it's, it's likely going to be a different product that works uh, best overall for their entire needs. But that predictability and knowing, you know, exactly how your soil's going to um, react to uh, irrigations and, and fertil fertilizations and, and, and whatnot um, is a great benefit. Uh, if you don't have that uniformity, it, it just adds an extra curveball that you're going to have to deal with in the greenhouse. You know, are you going to have to ooh, segregate this section because it's holding on to, uh, to, to water a little bit more because for some reason, the growing media in that section of the particle size is, is smaller. Uh, when you've got good quality soil, when you've got good quality control for that uh, produ soil production, uh, it stays always within the same kind of range of uh, physical and chemical characteristics, which makes it so much easier to Yes, you'll have to adapt from one, from one crop to the other, but you'll know how you need to adapt. If the, if the soil varies, you're going to constantly have to adapt all the time. And, and you might have to have some extra labor, as I said, to, to kind of isolate some of the product uh, or some of the, the containers to kind of deal with that a little bit differently uh, because it's holding on to more water or it's draining more rapidly. So you'll need to irrigate you know, more frequently. And, and that's just additional headaches that you don't want to have to deal with, or at least as little as possible. So that's that's the uh, the only add I do. Uh, thanks, John. It, it, you know, John, you you mentioned the automation, and there's all sorts of opportunities to automate in a greenhouse, and and you mentioned a couple that I think are are definitely critical when it comes to having this consistency in your production, not not within the blend itself, but within your production system from, from beginning to end. Um, Pierre-Marc, you mentioned uh, uh, the, the reduction of variables when you have a consistent media. And, and it, it just popped in my head that, that I just heard a story recently about someone who was working with a, a greenhouse and they had they were trying some new lighting options and they just turned off those lights and went back to what they were doing and they said oh the lights aren't working and really when 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 the the guy who's working with them dug into it they had changed so many different parts of their production in the last two or three years between their pest management processes their chemistries they were using their watering methods their uh, the nutrition that they were applying to the crops and probably their growing media as well. 
that that there were so many variables and 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 balls being juggled in the air that that they really didn't even know where the problem uh, in, in this crop was coming from. And so the the fewer variables you can have, which comes down to you know having knowing your media mix, um, having these options in some of the uh, uh, what 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 you guys call your tried and true or standard mixes. Um, it just makes a lot of sense. We, you know, it's really hard to do an experiment when you have, you know, 20 different variables. It's not, you're never going to get the results you want. So um, I just, I, I thought of that story when, that I just heard when, when you guys were talking about it and, um, and I thought it was appropriate. And so, I, you know, we, as we wrap up here, it's really been a fascinating discussion. We've covered a lot of different aspects of ways that, growers can help take a little bit more control over their um, over supply chain challenges and and hopefully uh, at, the, at the end of the line have a much better and more consistent uh, product and uh, a much higher quality crop going out the door through all of the challenges they might be facing. Um, and uh, John, you touched on the the, the team at Berger. Um, you've got grower advisors, you've got some of these these research and R and D departments. You've got the the folks who work on the bog locations. Um, you've got your your sales team, which are definitely partners, like you said. Um, and and I think before we wrap up, can you can you just talk? You know, one of you just talk a little bit about how the team at Berger works with growers to fine tune some of these production strategies and um, make you know growing media mixes easier because I think. You know that's obviously what you want to do is you want to take some of that burden off uh, of the, of the growers. Um, and it's really fun to talk to to experts in this because I think uh, you know I I learn something every time. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, about your team and maybe uh, one of you can share some uh, some ways our listeners can learn more about Berger and reach out and and contact you uh, for for some for some help and assistance and support. Um, John, you're good if I take this one. Absolutely, sir. So we, we really try to approach, uh, you know, it's like a 360 approach that Berger tries to do. We try to, um, with, you know, our the quality of our products, we try to come in also with the quality of our services as well. And so we've got different uh, services at Berger that can help. John talked a little bit about um, automation and equipment. Well, we do have a team that can help uh, not only set up the, you know, select the right equipment, but also fine-tune that equipment so that, for example, if, if it's a potting line, uh, making sure that uh, your main, you're, you're not compressing the soil too much uh, in the containers uh, or you're not damaging the fibers too much throughout the, the, uh, the process of, of uh, basically decompressing the bales of growing media and then uh, adjusting the moisture content because that's super important. Uh, a lot of times that's forgotten, but it's it's super important to make sure that you have the right uh, structure, but it also has the advantage, you know, peat moss will actually swell with the addition of water. So you're actually gaining volume as to what you had purchased. Um, so there are benefits to that, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easy to uh, forget the importance of making those adjustments and, and what impact that can have on your production, because you can have the best quality growing media, but if it, it goes through your potting line and it gets beaten up, and, and compressed and then it goes back in the greenhouse or there's inconsistencies there, then that consistency and quality gets lost. And you're basically, you end up with uh, a subpar growing meat or subpar 
uh, soil structure. Um, we also have customer service, uh, you know, can help you track your orders, uh, communicate your ETAs, uh, make sure you know when that product's going to arrive so your team is ready to unload the trucks. Or, you know, if you, if you don't have necessarily the equipment uh, or you have to rent it, then you know when you'll need it um, at, at your location to, to uh, unload those trucks. Uh, lab analytical services as well, uh, super important. Um, the ability to, to get uh, soil tests, tissue analysis, water testing, uh, make sure that, uh, you know, the alkalinity of your water, how that's going to impact the pH in your soil. Um, but uh, if, I, if I could do a small parenthesis on, on uh, uh, analytical services, is the tendency is, oh, I've got a problem, I'll have my soil tested. When in fact, what we try to promote is, is doing a routine testing. Uh, by doing routine testing, by testing your product or your, your soil, your tissue, when things are going well, well, then when you have an issue, you can compare the results of, you know, what's going, when it's going wrong, you can compare that to when it's going well, and it makes it easier to pinpoint because it's, it's not like when, when you, uh, you have an issue, you'll, you'll test your soil and, and there'll be a, a big spotlight on the issue. That's not always the case. A lot of times it's a combination of factors that's causing the issue. Uh, uh, but by, by having as much data, as much information as possible as a reference as to when things are going well, you can uh, more easily pinpoint uh, the issues that you're having. Uh, technical services, uh, the grower advisors, as John mentioned, uh, there to interpret the results, help you interpret the results of those now, uh, those testing, but also uh, visit your operations. They, you know, we're talking about people who have decades of experience in, in greenhouse growing. Uh, so they can definitely help find some, some potential issues, uh, you know, uh, maybe, uh, help you improve some of your practices, but also, as John mentioned, follow, help follow trials, which are, you know, uh, that controlled chaos can sometimes be a little bit uncontrolled and, and it's easy to lose track because that's not your priority. Your priority is making sure that you're your, your operations are running smoothly and that you're going to have quality products that you're going to be shipping out to the box stores or whatnot. So uh, if you're running out of time, the first thing that's going to drop off your schedule is following those trials. So they can help you with that and making sure that uh, basically they do that job for you. And, and uh, also making sure that you're looking at what you need to be looking at when you're, you're running these trials. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a team. It, it is teamwork for those grower advisors. It's, it, you know, we have uh, grower advisors associated to specific geographic territories, but, you know, they have weekly meetings together uh, just to basically exchange uh, and, you know, uh, I guess, um, take advantage of each each's expertise. And so if we have uh, a grower advisor in the East that's, that's running some um, – uh, having some issues with a customer or the, rather one of his customers is having an issue with a given crop, but the uh, grower advisor in, in another territory is more knowledgeable on that. We'll work together to find a solution. So it's, it's not just, you don't have access to just one person. You have access to a team of, of experts. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing I'll add to, uh, you know, the sales team, uh, we've been lucky enough uh, to uh, hire very knowledgeable uh, sales staff. It, you know, we're not hiring salesmen. We're hiring 
um, basically former growers, uh, you know, people who've worked in the industry uh, that have sales aptitude, <laughs> I would say it, it that way. So uh, they do have a huge technical background, um, port degrees, you know, former growers. So uh, even then, they, they, they bring a lot to the table. So it, it's, and, and all these teams work together just to, as John said, make sure that our customers are successful. I, I that that 360 degree approach makes a lot of sense. Um, when when you first said it and we were preparing, I, I was interested in in what that meant. And now I th I think it makes a lot of sense. You've got um, multiple people in multiple departments running different teams that that all work together to uh, to support customers. Um, even down to when when's my uh, when's my soil media arriving. Because we all know how important that is to uh, to line up the, those crews. Um, you mentioned the the routine testing. Um, I'll give a shout out to the last three podcasts. We did a three part series on um, uh, sampling, testing, and analyzing the results of media, water, and tissue, plant tissue. So uh, you know, for the listeners, if you want to really dig into that topic for three solid episodes, uh, jump back in the archives. Um, and then I will put a link to a lot of the resources from Berger in the show notes. Um, and I encourage you to, to go and check those out. You can see the, the, the teams that are, that are there to work with you and partner with you and learn a little bit more about the company. I'll also put a link to that uh, um, peatmoss.com. So you can look at the, the, the stats when it comes to, to peat moss, this great backbone of horticultural production. And finally, before we close, I really want to thank you guys. This has been a fun discussion. Um, like I said, I, I learned a lot and uh, really impressed with, with how you guys approach um, this topic that's so near and dear to your heart and something you guys live and breathe every day. And uh, again, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Bill. We'll uh, love speaking with you and love talking about something that uh, really uh, we feel very passionate about and is uh, we know very important to our uh, our customer base. So thank you again. Yep. Thanks, Bill. Really uh, enjoyed it. It was fun. It really was. Awesome. Awesome. Maybe we can do it again. Um, I'm sure there's more that uh, that you guys left on the table uh, that, that we can talk about in the future. Uh, I'm Bill Calkins with Tech on Demand brought to you by Grower Talks. And on behalf of Pierre, Mark and John and the entire team at Berger, have a fantastic season.